the only tweet I ever had that was taken down was a tweet where I said that in a vegan world, there'd be no pandemics. And I was like, yeah, but it's true. All pandemics are zoonotic. The etiology of every pandemic is zoonotic and it's always been that way. If we stopped using animals for food, if we stopped intruding on animal habitats, there'd be no more pandemics. But clearly that is a truth that is far too inconvenient for most people to handle. Hi, Moby. Hi, how are you? Good, good. It's great to have you here. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and congratulations on getting the new movie out. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So for, uh, for anybody who may not have seen it yet or for people who want to, you know, summarize it to their friends to get them to see, see it as well, um, how, would you, uh, how would you describe the movie? Well, I mean, the title does kind of sum it up pretty succinctly it's called the punk rock vegan movie and it's a history of or it's a look at the history of punk rock and animal rights activism because you know i've been a vegan now for 35 years and a lot of my veganism and animal rights activism came from that early punk rock scene in and around new york city and what i found is quite a lot of people, even in the animal rights community, weren't aware of the impact that punk rock had on the evolution of animal rights. And more than that, I just wanted to look at the underlying ethos of punk rock and how it lent itself to animal rights. You know, the ethos of questioning and adhering to principles over commercial expedience uh, and having, you know, moving forward with sort of like rational principled integrity. And so the movie looks at those, those ideas and I sort of presumptuously suggest to people that like now would be a great time for a lot of people to rediscover those ideals. That's great, thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The, uh, the, the, the title definitely, uh, definitely gets, you, gets you pretty far into, into the story. Um, it's, it's really fascinating um, and really resonates uh, just as an anecdote for myself. Like I ran into animal rights first through the punk subculture when I was 15, like back in the day. So this is definitely, uh, definitely a very interesting, uh, interesting pattern and, um, and kind of cross section of movements to, to look into. What do you think it was about punk specifically um, that that made it so uh, so amenable to to talking about animals do you think it has something to do with the like allowing resistance of the status quo I mean yeah the underlying idea of punk rock is skepticism and questioning everything you know you question I mean when you when you first discover punk rock and you sort of embrace the world of punk rock, you question fashion, you question politics, you question everything. And for a lot of people that also led to questioning food production, you know, and fashion production. And obviously once anybody takes, spends even five seconds looking at food production, you realize that the production of meat and dairy, to state the obvious, is unbelievably unethical and destructive, yeah. you know? And, and if you're, you know, 
exploring alternative lifestyles if you're a punk rocker and you're rejecting convention you're rejecting you know established ideas it becomes almost like a no-brainer that you would reject meat and dairy because of how it's produced you know there's no one I, I don't know anybody on the planet who is ethically okay with how meat and dairy is produced. And then the consequences, as we know, for, you know, for climate change, for pandemics, for antibiotic resistance, for human health, for cancer, diabetes, heart disease, obesity. So anybody, I mean, really the, the, the bigger question that I keep wrestling with, and I'm sure you wrestle with, and I'm sure people watching are wrestling with, is why isn't the world vegan? You yeah. know, everyone already agrees with us. You know, no one wants to hurt animals. No one wants to destroy the environment. No one wants to hurt their human, their health. But yet everyone actively supports this industry that kills animals, destroys the environment and destroys people's health. And it's, it's just that, that baffled confusion on our part of wondering why didn't everyone in the world wake up this morning and just say, oh yeah, eating meat and dairy is so destructive and so cruel, we should simply stop. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Before talking more about the, the animal rights side of things, um, are you seeing today or have you seen in the past like other subcultures, um, not to go, go, you know, like too nerdy into where, you know, what are the lines between subcultures, um, but where, um, where this kind of similar kind of ethos um, has taken root or could be taking root as of, as of today, for instance? Well, I mean, traditionally, the the counterculture you know activism was traditionally expressed in folk music mm. um going back hundreds of years and you know folk music and hip-hop are both hotbeds of a lot of activist thought and a lot of activist culture what's so depressing to me is how apolitical so much of alternative music is right you know, I mean, indie rock, alternative music, that's the most privileged group of people on the planet. Like it's, and not, not being critical, but like generally like the world of alternative rock and indie music is like it's white people who went to college, who probably might even have advanced degrees, who live in expensive lofts in Bushwick or Silver Lake. It's like, it sort of feels like I don't understand why they're so aggressively apolitical. You know, maybe they vote, Maybe they listen to NPR, but I follow so many alternative music accounts and I just don't understand why all they do is talk about themselves. Like there's no, there's almost no use of people's platforms to address bigger issues. And I, I'm just so confused and saddened by that, you know, that people, that anybody who has a platform wouldn't use it to try and address, you know, in, in my case, in your case, in a lot of people's cases, you know, advancing the cause of animal rights, but even using platforms to advance other activist issues, to not use a platform for that purpose just seems really kind of unethical to me. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, it's a really good point about, about folk, folk music as well, of course, and it's, it's deep history um, in, in all kinds of rights movements, yeah. Is there some, what's what's interesting today um, in in uh, talking about animal rights, um, perhaps our use of animals, uh, especially in food and fashion, um, 
whether that's in uh, in punk or or in more more mainstream culture, uh, what are things that that pique your interest today? Well, I mean, I like to put it in perspective that 1987, when I went vegan, I believe there were two vegan restaurants on the entire planet. Right. And veganism was so weird back then. No one knew. No one even knew how to say the word vegan. You know, whether it was vegan, 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 and you know, the only literature was Diet for a New America by John Robbins and Animal Liberation by Peter Singer and the occasional PETA newsletter. But really, I mean, like veganism was so weird and obscure back then, it barely existed. And now, I mean, the spread has been remarkable. As we know, it's like, you know, billion dollar companies, you know, making alternative proteins. Um, we have senators who are vegan, members of Congress, you know, the House of Representatives who are vegan. It's just on and on, like the spread has been so remarkable, but it's barely scratching the surface. You know, yeah. like on one hand, it's easy to be excited about how, how much spread there has been in the world of animal rights activism. But on the other hand, it's worth remembering, one trillion animals are still killed by and for humans every year. So I guess it's that question, what's it going to take to actually start getting to the same tipping point that other movements have gotten to? You know, because yeah. again, to really state the obvious, every movement, every activist movement starts tiny and eventually changes the world. You right. know, if we're talking about, you know, abolition, if we're talking about suffrage, if we're talking about same-sex marriage, if we're talking about, I mean, on and on and on, this, you know, these incredibly fringe ideas eventually become the norm, and that will happen with veganism. You know, I just don't see any way in which humans can continue to produce food and fashion the way they're producing it. The bigger question is, will humans be around? You know, like, I mean, the world will become, like, humans will either disappear or become vegan. There really isn't another choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with you. Agree with you there. Um, in, uh, in more hopeful, uh, hopeful moments, it is, uh, it's, it's clear that this, uh, that the change will happen at some point and maybe it doesn't even take hope maybe it's it's just a, just a rational um idea that at some point there will no longer be animals used in 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 the human food systems um what are the what are like some of the critical steps that we as let's let's talk on on the level of of culture uh on on the level of like the discussion we have in the society what needs to happen for us to move significantly in that direction? What do you think? I mean, that's a, it's a wonderful question. And as we both know, everybody in the animal rights community is constantly asking themselves, like, what can they do? Sure. You know, we keep presenting people with information. You know, we first you go to people and you say, hey, you don't want to hurt animals. Here's an easy way not to hurt and kill animals. Stop hurting and killing them. You know, stop, stop using them for food and fashion. And you would think, that would reach people. And it does reach some people, but clearly 99% of people just ignore that message. And then you have, you know, movies like What the Health or Forks Over Knives that say, hey, by the way, 
in addition to animal agriculture killing animals, it also is killing you. And you would think that the people who don't care about animals at least want to protect their health. And so you would think, okay, between people who care about animals and people who care about their health, at this point, the world should have been vegan. Clearly it wasn't. And then we advanced the idea of, well, animal agriculture is the third leading cause of climate change. It's the leading cause of rainforest deforestation, it's the leading cause of ocean pollution. So at this point, we're all so confused. We're like, well, we've given you, we've given humanity all this, all these reasons, all this evidence as to why we should stop using animals for food, but nothing changes. And then we finally bring out the last horse of the apocalypse, the pale horse, the pandemic horse, the antibiotic resistance horse. And we say, guess what? Pandemics are caused by, the, by intruding on the lives of animals. Uh, the only tweet I ever had that was taken down was a tweet where I said that in a vegan world, there'd be no pandemics. And, I was right. like, but, and, and it, got, it got flagged and taken down. And I was like, yeah, but it's true. All pandemics are zoonotic. The etiology of every pandemic is zoonotic. And it's always been that way. If we stopped using animals for food, if we stopped intruding on animal habitats, there'd be no more pandemics. But clearly, that is a truth that is far too inconvenient for most people to handle. And the fact, as I mentioned, sorry for rambling on, but the fact that 90% of antibiotic resistance is a result of animal agriculture. And that's just a simple fact. You can go to the CDC website, the NIH website, simple. That is, it's just not even a questioned fact. And so to your point, and then all of a sudden, vegan food becomes delicious. And we're like, hey, come to this vegan restaurant. You love the food. So now at this point, for my, sorry for my long rambling diatribe, but we've shown to people that if you care about animals, you probably should not be torturing and killing them. If you care about your health, you should probably not be eating food that is torturing and killing you. If you care about the planet, you should not be supporting agriculture that destroys the planet. And if you wanna prevent antibiotic resistance and pandemics, you should probably not support the industries that cause them. So what's left? You know, like how, like, and at this point, even the progressives, even AOC, Bernie Sanders, like they ignore all this and they yeah. agree with us, but they still eat hot dogs and hamburgers on social media. And I'm like, what the hell? Like how, if, if even our allies aren't willing to change, how can we expect massive change? And the only thing I think we have left is money. And what I mean by that is, I really feel like one of the, the things that's going to change the system is figuring out how we tell people how much the current system is costing them. Yeah. You know, in terms of direct subsidies, in terms of indirect subsidies, in terms of healthcare costs, in terms of climate costs, in terms on and on again, like the cost of animal agriculture is overwhelming. And I feel like, especially when you look at the role of subsidies, the fact that you know our tax dollars are subsidizing this industry that kills animals and kills us, there has to be a way to leverage that to get people to finally make some changes. Yeah, yeah. 
no that's that's wonderful i think that's that's very powerful and especially on the on the money point but isn't also that that, that that's why punk was so powerful and is so powerful in that it it gives you the it allows you to resist things that you see to be wrong like there's oftentimes there's apathy is apathy is not an option once you realize that you can resist and there are things worth resisting are we are we losing that ethos oh i believe yes <laughs> and I think, like you say, that apathy is not an option, but yet the majority of people have chosen it. Right. So I feel, and it's not just apathy, like in a way, I don't, I don't think that people are choosing apathy. I think they're choosing the path of least resistance. And what I mean by that is obviously to change the way you eat, to change the way you approach the world, to change, you know, to live a principled life is lonely. It's, right. you know, it means that you probably aren't going to be invited to as many parties. And if you go to parties, you're not going to be able to eat with your friends. Like Thanksgiving rolls around, Christmas rolls around, and suddenly your family looks at you funny because you're not eating the food that they're eating. It's, it's incredibly isolating and lonely sort of trying to live what is ostensibly a principled existence. And I honestly think that if you were to do a sort of, I don't know, like post-mortem phrenological look at the brains of activists and punk rockers, you would simply see that they're a little more comfortable with loneliness than the rest of the population. Um, right. Because I definitely look at like, I really think like people give all these reasons for why they're not willing to go vegan. The number one reason is they don't want to be isolated. You know, they don't want to have their family look at them funny. They don't want to go on a date and have their date roll their eyes. Like it's, that's, it's just human nature. Like we're, we're, you know, we are human cockroaches. Like humans love to be around other people. They love the approval of other people. They love feeling like they've done nothing that might alienate their their tribe and living according to your principles you end up alienating a lot of people because especially when you start reminding people that the way you're living is principled and consistent and not as hypocritical as them I mean, the, the biggest arguments i ever had with my mother were about veganism and she argued with me i, I would just sort of sit there while she would get so upset because i was rejecting her food and i would say yeah, but you like animals. Why are you supporting a system that kills them? And she would just get so mad. And I'm sure you've had that experience. I'm sure lots of people have had that experience. People get really angry when you remind them of what the truth actually is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think there's a, there's a little glimmer of hope there. I'd like to think that that people wouldn't get mad at at challenging their their habits unless they had some inkling of of they're doing something wrong at least um that's a really nice way to look at it yeah it's like because clearly like the sociopaths don't get mad when you confront them with their hypocrisy if anything like right. you know i'm sure like if you were to go to donald trump and donald trump jr and say you're hypocrites they'd be like yeah they, they're probably proud of it 
right but you're right that the the resistance the the hostility the anger that most people have when you confront them with the ethical inconsistencies in their choices that anger that they have is actually a sign that they're aware that that they're not living a consistent ethical life yeah yeah so we've we've touched on 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 a lot of things um in terms of in terms of talking about animal rights talking about veganism talking about food systems you've done uh a massive uh part in in getting these discussions more out into into the mainstream media um but what are what do you think are 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 kind of stories or story angles uh or narratives that you'd like to see more more in the media um that you think could be could be something we could be you know trying trying to get more out there well you know it's a wonderful question and luckily the way the global media is we can actually sort of look at like how different outlets are approaching this you know because obviously it'd be nice to have a, like a blue sky conversation about what's the best way of presenting the information the problem there as we know are platforms you know like unless you own a social media platform or unless you own cnn or unless you own the new york times you have to get the approval of a platform in order to get your information out there you know that's the sad unless you want to just go stand on a street corner and hand out leaflets which is a very viable way of reaching people right but there is that awareness that you know every 99 of our communication involves going through a gatekeeper yeah and so i think we have to both strategically try and figure out as some people have been very good at doing like earthling ed or some of the great vegan influencers like how do you how do you almost bypass the platforms how do you use the strengths of the platforms without triggering their suppression and so i think it's looking at people who have used the platforms well but also for example half of the media i follow is in the uk yeah and half of it is in the states and there's just such a huge market difference between the way in which the bbc and the guardian cover issues of animal agriculture and veganism as opposed to american media american media won't touch it you know right. even ostensibly progressive media like the new yorker article and article about racial justice economic justice gender rights even climate change environmentalism they won't touch veganism and i write letters to them like what's wrong with you like you write articles about climate change and the causes of climate change but you never mention animal rights and you never mention meat and dairy production so yeah i when you have a media class in the united states even a progressive media class whether it's the huffington post msnbc the new yorker what have you who won't touch this issue i don't know what we can do so i wish it hurts me that i don't have a, like a quick fun glib answer to that question but i don't know i don't know how we do a better job advancing this agenda i i really like i wish i i wish i knew but when you have an institutional progressive media like we have in the united states who won't touch this issue like it's basically 
we've been boycotted, we've been blacked out. You know, we're the blacklist in the United States is talking about animal rights in the media. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of truth to that for sure. Um, in, in sentient media, we've, we've seen some of that, quite a bit of that in, in action. Yeah. Um, but um, we didn't just sorry, just going back yeah. to like the UK, like, and then like you look at the fact that the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, the New Yorker, Huffington Post, MSNBC won't really touch veganism and, and, and like the consequences of animal agriculture. But then you open up the BBC and they have article after article about it, and the, the Guardian article after article about it. And you're like, wow, how do they get it? And all of these outlets in the United States won't touch it. And I think. In the United States, I had a conversation about this with Al Gore a while ago, and he basically calls the role of meat and dairy, it's the real inconvenient truth. Yeah. You know, people are afraid of losing subscribers. They're afraid of losing revenue streams. They're afraid. And even a lot of people like Bernie Sanders and AOC, they're just meat eaters who are afraid to lose their hot dogs. Right. And it's so depressing. That's why, I mean, if I'm being like grim and honest, to me, the only solution is essentially a world without people. Like, you know, the, the way we create that, I don't, that world is being created by humans as we speak, but like, you know, a world without people is probably going to end up being a much better world than the world we've created. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is dizzying how much suffering we've managed to create and perpetuate within such a short period of time as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost feel like if there, if there was a divine entity, the moment one human being tortured another human being, God should have just said, that's it, wipe them, get rid of them. They're, these, this is a bad species. Like, because other animals kill other animals, but usually for food or for like practical reasons, you know, like alligators, Alligators tend not to take other alligators and put them in cages and torture them for decades. Right. You know, so humans are like the only species I know of, apart from house cats, who seem to delight in causing sustained agony and suffering. And for that reason, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that maybe a you know, like maybe it's time for humans to no longer be around. Right. Right. That could be um, that could be a topic for another um, <laughs> another another uh, call. It's such a lighthearted thing to say. Like, yes, if you ever really want to alienate your friends and not get invited to parties, just tell them that you're an anti-human who thinks that humanity is a curse that should be wiped off the planet. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, there, there are there are some some opinions and and trends and patterns that 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 support that for sure as well and that is um, that is a discussion that's being you know had in academic uh, philosophy for instance uh, so so it's not it's not like a totally you know uh, out of the blue fringe uh, fringe thing. Um, well, it's also we, yeah. it, it's so sorry for interrupting, but it's it's also the most obvious thing on the planet. You know, like like you look at everything humans do and even when they try and solve a problem they end up causing more problems like humans are an overwhelming destructive horrifying violent entitled terrible species like all evidence points to that and then people are like oh but you know 
what about symphonies? I'm like, yeah, symphonies are nice. That's the exception. You know, mm. what about art? Yeah, art's nice. That's the exception. Look at a freeway. Look at what humans create everywhere. You know, they pave over the natural world. They kill other animals. They kill each other. And everything they do ends up killing humans as well. Unless we figure this out, we don't have much time here. And I think that's not such a bad thing. Right. So for, for a young person who finds themselves a member of a destructive species and wants to do something to change the world into, if not a more compassionate place, at least a place with, with less suffering, um, what, would you, what would you tell them? Oh boy. I mean, I would say become a master at social media while also figuring out how to become a billionaire and possibly running for president and inventing a new type of phenomenal alternative protein um, and figure out how to be a great author who writes books that will actually reach people and get them to change. So they should ideally do all of those things at the same time. Right. That's a, that's a good set of the levers <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. But ultimately it's like, if, if, if I had wanted, I mean, my suggestion to the basically anyone was like, figure out how to become a billionaire because the billionaires run the world. And right now, I mean, you look at Elon Musk, Elon and I were friends a long time ago. I don't know what the hell happened to him, but you know, like, if he wanted to end animal agriculture, he could, you know, he could use all of his money and like do study after study, fund films, fund books, talk to politicians, reach everyone and say, look, animal agriculture is destroying animals and destroying us. And instead he buys Twitter so that anti-Semites and racists can have a platform. Yeah, yeah. Those are some mislaid priorities there. One would think so, yes. Yes. With that note, um, but maybe perhaps rather with a note of, of your advice to, to the young, uh, young generation who wanna, who wanna get change done in the world. Um, thank you very much for, for taking the time to, to talk, talk with us. And uh, thank you very much for, for making that awesome film. Oh, thanks. And one thing I should mention about Punk Rock Vegan Movie is it's free. You know, oh, we, yes. it's, we made it with the idea of giving it away because I don't want to create any barriers to activist content. And also, I cannot in good conscience ever try and make a penny from animal rights activism. Like that, it makes my stomach turn, the thought of trying to monetize or create revenue streams from activist content. Other people... I'm not criticizing those who figured out how to do it. I'm just saying for myself, my activist work has to be for free. I because otherwise it just feels deeply unethical. Like if if I don't need additional revenue streams, I shouldn't try and monetize activism. Sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that's that's definitely worth uh worth pointing out as well about the about the film. Um, yes, we will certainly uh, link to the film uh, from 
anywhere this interview is published. So if you're watching this online, uh, definitely look at the links um, around this video. Um, we will also link back to back to Moby's other work. Um, Moby, thank you so much again for taking the time and for doing this interview. Oh, my pleasure. Yes, and thank you guys for what you do. I follow you on social media, and I love I love everything you're working on. That's so great to hear. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.